So, um, random question of the day is, do you think women's classes and division should have um, height and weight uh, classes that are completely separate from um, kind of how they do classic, kind of how they do men's physique now? Um, should they be doing that figure, women's physique, bikini? Um, what are your guys' opinions? Oh, that's a good one. I would say bikini, not so much, but I would say there needs to be some for figure, physique, and women's bodybuilding because the lines are getting so blurred um, sometimes. I mean, especially at the local level, but it's always going to be like that at the local level to some degree. But I think you could standardize and there would be better communication between the judges and the athletes slash coaches of what they expect, um, exactly how you can come in, how they think is best for your body, and it would just – 
maybe bring a little more attention to each division if people knew exactly what they were looking at a bit a bit more. But I'm, you know, not super well versed in those categories. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it'd be too applicable to every division. I mean, you could argue kind of the higher muscularity ones potentially uh, bringing something in. Just to kind of even things out, I mean, even in male divisions, you know, you'll see people the same height, but like right, bone structure is totally different um, and things like that. I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah, I think I have the same opinion, too. It's it's a tough one. But if they are, you know, sort of saying that this weight correlates with a certain physique that they are looking for in any division, I think that should apply to almost every division, except, you know, the ones that aren't too muscular, like bikini. But you can also argue men's physique is kind of like the bikini division of the men's divisions no offense guys no offense but um yeah so if, if you're doing that for men's physique which is the smallest class of all the men's divisions i think you should also apply that across the board to all the other divisions too uh just just to be, uh tom just said fuck you to every men's physique guy just wanted that to be clear <laughs> And then it's a little bit the, better now. It's a little better now. They raised the shorts by like what, like two inches. Green so. legs, you fucking pussies. Now we're just kidding. We're entirely kidding. I think Tom, didn't you didn't you compete in physique in your first? No, I did classic. You didn't do classic. Okay, then yeah, actually, now that we're being real, then um, no, just kidding. But the other thing with my my answer on this is um, I, I wanted they would have to have weights assigned to each height class too i should probably mention that not just like oh if you're a figure you got to be under 200 under physique under 220 whatever to throw numbers out there but it would be it would be height based like they do for classic if we were if that was a uh, thing that they were going to do in my opinion but um i think we covered that so let's get into the fat burners which do you guys just want to start with uh what is good on the list i mean they're kind of all in different orders and stuff, but uh, who wants to talk about Clen? I'm probably not the number one guy on that. I can probably speak more on on some of the other ones, but who, who's the biggest Clen expert out of us? You want to go, Mike? Yeah, I can go. Um, how do we? What kind of want to talk about this? Just like mechanism of action. Yeah, Are we going sciencey or no? Yeah, talk about basic mechanism of action. Talk about um, just basic. Um, like what it, what it does, um, okay. what you might want to get from it, what you should avoid <laughs> okay. getting from it, all that. So Clen is, uh, kind of falls in the category of a beta two receptor agonist. Basically, uh, it's a bronchodilator or like clinically it's used for asthma, um, and kind of just dilating the bronchioles. Um, what this does, it upregulates the beta-2 receptor. So in theory, in short, it kind of just increases your metabolic rate, um, prom promotes kind of like the uh, mobilization and utilization of fatty acid stores. So um, kind of with that being said, in the literature, it's some, I, I don't remember exactly, I want to say it's 10 to 20% um, is kind of like the noted increase in uh, metabolic rate from it. Um Kind of what you can expect with this, I guess, side effect wise, uh, you know, increased heart rate, uh, increased blood pressure. Some people kind of get like a little bit of tremors. Um, it is a stimulant. Um, so, you know, it's something to be cognizant of when you're combining it with, you know, other things we're going to be talking about here, uh, you know, and uh, caffeine, so on and so forth. Um, dosage wise, typically, 
uh, you will the clinical dosage is for asthma is usually 40 ish micrograms um, in kind of like a bodybuilding application type scenario anywhere from like 20 to 80 100 I would say is pretty standard for things um, I don't want to talk the whole time so if any of you want to kind of chime in so we had a conversation um, I think it was yesterday or the day before Mike and we were talking about uh, Clem perhaps being the most quote-unquote dangerous uh, things that we use as bodybuilders over the long term. Could you elaborate on why you may feel that way? Yeah, so in higher dosages of Clem, so like, right, I said 20 to 80, or 20 to 80, 100 micrograms, if you kind of cross over into that, you know, 100, 120, 140, I've, I've seen 160, 180 micrograms per day, pretty crazy. Um, the increase in heart rate and blood pressure that you're going to get from this, um, you know, it's directly correlating to your heart. So any compound or something like that, that's going to tax, uh, you know, your heart muscle that much, there's always kind of going to be that risk of, you know, cardiovascular events happening, um, you know, things like that. Do I think in, in, you know, a therapeutic dose or moderate dosages, this is a huge concern. I don't like, I haven't heard of anything happening. I've never seen anything happen. Um, I think with abuse, which definitely happens in the industry, uh, it, it's something to be aware of. Definitely. Yeah, I'll, add, I'll add a few little basic things here. The half-life is 36 to 48-ish hours too. So if you're taking it every day, it's going to build up more and more and more. And for people that you know aren't super exercise science-minded that are just casually listening here, it speeds up your heart rate. It, it makes you burn more calories by speeding up your heart rate. So you can imagine if your heart rate is fed up for the entire fucking day and then some, that's going to come with some side effects to some degree. But Tom looks like he's got a nuance to that. Um, the heart rate isn't exactly 100% true in terms of it being the main way that it drives uh, caloric deficit. Um, it actually do, does it through a few pathways um, that induce beta oxidation. Because if you actually think about it, there are people who take beta blockers alongside clenbuterol and get the same fat burning effects without getting that elevated heart rate. Um, so it can't necessarily be just the heart rate, but I do think that is uh, part of the equation of why it does increase your metabolism. Good ass correction right there. Good ass correction. Um, also, since I'm just usually the example of shit not to do. <laughs> Um, for side effects, yeah, you're going to get crazy anxiety, especially if you're prone to it. If you take more than you should, I think the most I ever took was 150 and that was only one time. And I was like, yep, nope, fuck that. Um, burned a, burned a lot of calories. I'm sure I basically just like walked for half the day because I was just anxious. So I just kept fucking walking, couldn't eat. Um, so don't do that guys. Start really small. Keep in mind that it builds up over time. Take breaks. And I just wouldn't use very long, like just, just don't use it until you need it. There's, there's plenty of other stimulants and shorter acting tools that you can control a lot easier, but it's very popular in the industry for a reason. And then one thing that I almost forgot is it is slightly anabolic in females. It's not really going to be noticeable in males at all. It's still not going to be that noticeable in females, but it can be muscle buildings through some type of mechanism to some small degree at least in smaller females. Do you guys want to talk about application of when you would use it? So I would, I would go, um, honestly, Clem is one of those things that 
you could use at a small dosage in a mini cut, maybe in the off season. Um, that is something that, you know, people do. It makes things a little bit easier in terms of not having to drive the caloric load too low. Uh, so you don't necessarily get those performance deficit uh, detriments from being uh, in a severe caloric deficit. Um, in a prep, you could go up a little bit higher, like Mike was saying, up to 80 to 100 micrograms towards the end. Uh, I know a lot of people talk about cleanse cycling. That is uh, something that a lot of people were doing in the past where you may do uh, three weeks on, uh, one one or two weeks off and uh, sort of titrate up the dose that way. Um, reason people don't necessarily do it that that way anymore is because down regulation of those beta receptors aren't, isn't necessarily something that you do see. Um, too, too often. So that, that was kind of the theory as to why uh, you may need to come off the cleanse to kind of resensitize yourself to be able to get the same amount out of the same dosage. But um, there's a lot of, you know, studies and things that suggest that that down regulation doesn't actually happen. So you can stay at that same dose for, you know, uh, the same amount of time, and it'll still do the same sort of effects in your, in your body and your physiology. Um, another way people do use it is to use ketotyphin alongside with it, uh, which is something that does help increase your sensitivity to uh, those receptors. But again, it doesn't necessarily downregulate, so it's not something you have to use uh, alongside it as well. Yeah, a, a lot of the studies actually with in the literature about kind of the downregulation of the beta receptors, they were mainly done in rats too, which isn't really super applicable to us. Um, and even if it was a thing, the time being off it, I think would be, it's not worth it. Even if you had a little bit of downregulation taking, you know, cycling at three weeks on, three weeks off, whatever, that three weeks off is not going to be a significant enough to actually stop using it. Anything you guys want to add before we go to a somewhat loosely similar one, Johanbein? Oh, no, that's it. Word. So you hembine, usually in the form of HCL, kind of acts through a similar mechanism, but Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you explain it better. <laughs> um, so clan is a beta-2 receptor uh, agonist. Yohimbine is a alpha-2 uh, antagonist. So um, the alpha and beta receptors, they're kind of, they're androgen and androgenergic receptors, which basically kind of like mediate uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine. So how yohimbine works, um, it actually blocks the receptor. So now this norepinephrine and epinephrine, um, you know, rather than working on those receptors, they can be used and geared towards actually driving up fat loss on its own. Um, as far as dosing, uh, clinically or in the literature, 0.2 milligrams per kilogram is usually, you know, peak dosage. Uh, I guess you could go up to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. With that being said, um, do not start at that. Um, you will uh, not tolerate it very well, at least from my experience or hearing from other people. So for example, right, let's say, you know, peak dosage is 25 milligrams per day, you know, start at five or start at 2.5. Um, how I like doing it with clients at least is working it up um, weekly until I reach the peak dosage. So, you know, I'm gonna do five for a week, 10, 15, 20, 25, I'm gonna sit there. Um, I think something to be uh, careful with is kind of just like the sympathetic activity uh, with it. It is a stimulant too. Uh, CNS fatigue is real from Yohimbine. So, you know, even though peak dosage might be whatever it is, 
you don't always have to work up to that. You know, you could sit lower from it. You just kind of got to keep in mind the, um, that like CNS effect that you're getting from it and that like neural fatigue. So a way you can conceptualize it, like kind of what Mike was saying is I got this from Dr. Scott Stevenson is that Yohimbine is like taking your foot off the brakes and Klein is like putting your foot on the gas. So that's kind of how it works synergistically. Um, one thing to note is that Yohimbine actually does cause some water retention on prep. Um, well, it causes water retention in general. So maybe something that you look to remove a little bit, um, you know, a little bit earlier than you may the other stimulants just for that reason uh, before you get to, you know, peak week or something like that. But yeah, that's pretty much, Mike, Mike covered pretty much everything that I was going to say about it as well. One note and one question, keep in mind, I mean, with all stimulants, but especially with Yohimbine, just from my personal experience and clients' personal experience, you take some Yohimbine HCL, you're going to shit real soon, like aggressively, like just it just it just plan on taking a shit in like five minutes before you do your fasting card if you take your hand by that might just be me and some of my clients but that's one thing that i've noticed the other thing too is there's definitely a unique intense sweating experience with your hand i think it's just because it's so quick in and out so it just hits you really hard and a lot of people take it as a pre-lift but uh me and my me and my buddy john mongo because i have like 15 friends named john but mongo um we have had multiple days where we're just in the gym, just like pouring sweat, powerlifting. We're like, dude, how are we even going to get through squats? Like we're like trying to fight cramps and shit. So if you're someone that's doing like a crazy leg day or something, not just because your heart rate's going to be a bit higher, but also just because the sweats and the shits, just, just watch out for that a little bit. My question for you guys would, would you, would you guys say that it's fair to say that both with a, alpha receptor antagonist such as Uhimbine and with the beta receptor agonist that one of the main mechanisms behind how they work is just driving sympathetic drive like the fight or flight response for you general not science guys listening driving that in general would you say that's one way to think about it you know and maybe stimulants in general because of how they're boosting epinephrine slash adrenaline yeah not only do they promote beta beta oxidation which is you know fat liberation a slash fat burning, but they also do provide you with that stimulation slash um, sympathetic drive. So it can help you get the energy to move more throughout the day when you're not actually moving. So that's another way um, by increasing NEAT indirectly, you can also uh, drive that caloric deficit a little bit further. Pure, pure, pure. Um, you guys want to, since we're doing stims and stuff like that. I actually do want to cover one last thing on Yohimbine. I, I do not tolerate Yohimbine hydrochloride well at all. I can't even take five milligrams whatsoever. But what I have found is alpha Yohimbine, Raulcine, which is something that's pretty much similar to it. Um, Gorilla Mine sells a product called Raulcine as well. Um, it is basically the exact same thing. It's just a different uh, compound and chemical. And I actually tolerate that one perfectly fine. And that's why I find with a lot of people, you either tolerate one or the other. Um, so that is another option. If you're one of those people like me who can't even take five milligrams without having a panic attack, uh, look into Raulcine because it's pretty similar in its action. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Raulcine. It's a little bit slower in and out, right? So that even if you're prone to anxiety, it doesn't like hit you super hard like something significantly bad just happened right yeah it's, it's a lot smoother of a release a lot a lot it's not as impact like 
just hit you in the face and you start having cold sweats like the moment you step on the treadmill. It's like, like it's like, it's like taking slower. a few like taking a few blunt hits instead of hitting the jeep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is uh is dosing the same with it or is it? I'm not yeah. familiar with it. Uh, pretty much exactly the same. I think it may actually be half the dose. Um, if I'm cor- if I'm correct on that, I haven't really gone over uh, ten milligrams of Johanbine or that. So um, I'm pretty sure it's about half the dose. So two point five would equal about five milligrams of Johanbine hydrochloride. I'm a, I'm a tank for stims, man. But like, if I can't take more than thirty migs Johanbine HCl, and there's no fucking reason to, but I've experimented with this shit, so I know. I, I don't think there's a reason for anyone to take more than 25 megs. If you feel like you need more than that, just switch to a different stim or just prep for longer or something because it's it ain't worth it. <laughs> Dude, 20 megs of your home will rock your world. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you guys want to go to caffeine um, since we're already on the you know adrenaline and just stimulants boosting shit and then we'll hop to thyroid after that? For sure. Okay. Uh, you can go. I don't want to take over everything. All right. So caffeine is probably the most basic one on this list. It's probably what everyone has every single day, whether it's coffee, energy drinks, or pre-workout. Um, just like everything else we mentioned, it is primary, primarily um, its mechanism of action is going to be driving that sympathetic uh, drive and helping you you know, get that energy uh, to go through your sessions or go through your cardio as well. Um, it does promote beta oxidation, which is also uh, liberation and burning of those fats. Um, and yeah, I mean, caffeine is pretty basic. Uh, dosing is around you know, anywhere from 100 milligrams to 400 milligrams. Um, in a single dose, you can even go up to 500 milligrams to 700 milligrams per day safely. I really wouldn't go over above that for a long period of time because you can start to experience some stuff with your adrenals. Uh, but besides that, that's really um, all there is to caffeine. Honestly, it's nothing too special. There's there's whole Huberman episodes on caffeine. And honestly, we won't be able to do justice compared to an hour long thing on that. So just it's, it's the most basic stim that there is. Try not to take it within eight, eight hours of bed. You can drink coffee for it. You can do pills for it. I personally think that coffee, for whatever reason, mentally hits harder and the antioxidants in it are probably good for you if you're not doing something that's badly smoked or made or anything like that. And if you notice on certain supplements, if it says Infinergy or di-caffeine malate, just keep in mind that's kind of a quicker in and out type of caffeine so that'll hit you harder, but you'll also have um a harder crash from it um anything there's else some, i think we can fly through caffeine because it's it's so basic you guys have anything extra to add there's some stuff uh, you can use in synergy with caffeine like teocrine and synephrine and stuff like that uh which you know may have like maybe a 10 to 20 percent uh added subjective benefit but um I, besides that that's really all there is to caffeine you're gonna say something mike yeah, I think the biggest thing with caffeine is just it is a stimulant, right? If let's say you're in a prep scenario and you're tired, you know, you have a cup of coffee, you have a pre-workout, you're probably going to, you know, have some more alertness and you might put some more pep in your step. You might do your cardio with more effort. You might train a little bit harder. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest benefits. I think one thing just to be mindful of, too, you know, along the lines of all these stims, uh, kind of what Tom mentioned too is like adrenal uh, dysfunction. That's something to 
definitely be careful uh, of and not abusing things. So like I can use myself as an example. You guys probably have similar stories at some point, like, you know, you're slugging a thousand milligrams of caffeine a day. You're having two energy drinks, a pre-workout. And it's like, you get to a point where it's great. And then, you know, you don't feel anything anymore. And then it's like, if you don't have that, you're fucked and you can't even get out of bed in the morning. And that takes a while to recover from. Um, my advice with kind of all these stems, especially caffeine is, use it when you need it don't abuse it unless you really need it i need it yeah <laughs> don't abuse it unless you really need it i'm quoting you on that <laughs> you start itching um, itching like a crack addict that's, that's when you start <laughs> using caffeine perfect um actually it would probably make more sense before thyroid to go to eca stack you guys I'm not a I'm not a huge expert on that. I've seen someone that's taken it and abused it because I I lived with them in a former college situation, but I've never actually taken it myself. And I wasn't super duper into bodybuilding yet when it was still kind of relevant. So you guys you guys fill me in a little bit on that one. So honestly, same here. I'm not too big of an expert. It's not really something that's used too frequently. Um, ephedrine is kind of like clenbuterol. It is a stimulant. Um, it does work through, you know, kind of similar mechanisms of action, but also a little bit different. Um, one thing to note about it is the reason why aspirin is included in that is because ephedrine uh, does have a tendency to cause blood clots in certain individuals. Uh, aspirin can actually help uh, with that blood thinning. So you don't necessarily have both the restriction of your blood vessels as well as increase in blood pressure from the ephedrine causing a blood clot in your system. And I'm guessing the caffeine is included in there just as an addi additional stimulant. Um, worst comes to worst, most people I would just say stick with uh, the basics clenbuterol, you know, himbine, uh, just because it is a little bit harder to get ephedrine nowadays, especially in the US. Um, there is a Justin Harris podcast actually where um, he talks about how you can make ephedrine from two medications you can get at any gas station uh, around the US. You just combine it and I guess you get some type of <laughs> amphetamine. Like, I, I don't know exactly what-, what... Probably, It's probably Dayquil. You can make like a really shitty form of meth from what I hear with the- <laughs> Yeah, it's prob probably Dayquil then. It's, yeah. it's pseudoephedrine. And I think if you combine it with something else, it makes it even closer to taking actual, actual ephedrine. Dayquil makes me feel wired as- If there was any drug that I was going to be addicted to, it would probably be pseudoephedrine. <laughs> so no one do this, but I'm just saying, if you're- Thinking about math, maybe try pseudoephedrine instead. Um, yeah, I don't. ECA stacks and ephedrine isn't something I really use ever. Um, it works pretty similar to Clen, but I would say it is milder. Um, you can get it by using like Bronchade. That's like an over counter, over the counter supplement you could use, um, which does have some ephedrine in it. Um, if it's between Clem and Ephedrine, I'd rather use Clem. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're natural, um, you know, just the ease of use to getting it, that's something you could use. Um, but again, I haven't used it with anyone. I just think there's better tools for the job. Yep. I think we all kind of agree on that. Um, all right. On to the big boys. Thyroid stuff. So we got levothyroxine, we got T3, we got desiccated thyroid, which we can also call bovine gland or bovine glandular because we usually get it from cows. 
Um, I'll let you guys take this one away because it's a nice, nice advanced one. I'll just add shit at the end. Um, I guess we can start with like a little bit of physiology and then kind of just go from there. Um, so basically, what you said? I was going to say you might as well go deep with this one because thyroid is it's 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 so complicated and it interacts with so many other things and you're basically explaining explaining the whole system of the body that you can go pretty deep with this one we'll lose some people along the way but i'll try to summarize it at the very end for you know people that are just casually listening as people that occasionally lift cool um so everything really starts with the hypothalamus um the hypothalamus will through like a negative feedback loop which we can get into later down the line um, it releases a TRH, thyrotropin releasing hormone. Um, TRH then um, signals the pituitary gland to release TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, TSH will then um, communicate basically to the thyroid gland to release T4 and a tiny bit of T3. Um, for the sake of this conversation, we'll say that a little bit of T3 is irrelevant. T4 um, then goes through a process through, it's called the deodination process. Um, this will convert T4 one of two ways, either to T3, which is active thyroid hormone, and then reverse T3, which is basically inactive thyroid hormone. So obviously T3 is what is usable by the body. Reverse T3 is not usable by the body. Um, from there, T3, um, I'm not going to go too far into it. Um, through uh, another process of deodination, T3 can be converted into T2, which is also inactive. Um, so basically how this is relevant to kind of what we're talking about, when you're going into a contest prep, um, and let's say for the sake of the conversation, you you know pull labs for the prep and everything looks really good, your T3 checks out great, all your other markers check out great, as you start going through the dieting process, um, you know, food becomes less, cardio becomes more, fatigue gets worse. Um, you will kind of start to have some impaired conversion. So what this looks like is T4 will kind of start to favor and kind of convert more to reverse T3. Um, things that kind of impact this conversion rate, uh, stress is usually the biggest one. Uh, mineral deficiencies is a big one as well, which obviously you will see in the contest prep with kind of less diverse diet, um, so on and so forth. Gut issues, a lot of thyroid conversion actually happens in the gut. So um, within a contest prep, you know, I would say that is somewhat common to happen. So basically all these factors, it kind of impairs the process of um, thyroid conversion and you now kind of have a slower metabolism as a result. Um Physiology side of it, that's kind of the basics. Um, if one of you guys want to kind of go from there. So, yeah, I don't really look at a application of putting T4, T3, or any thyroid in there as a quote-unquote fat burner. It's just a way to combat metabolic adaptation and perhaps even uh, push the boundaries of metabolism. But the reason I don't call it a fat burner is because those things aren't necessarily specific to just fat. Um, it just kind of burns metabolism, calories in general. Um, so what, when would you guys use T3 versus T4? That's a that's a good question. Or do you guys recommend dual therapy, monotherapy, um, desiccated? 
because it's mostly a conversion process as someone starts to get leaner, I kind of lean towards T3. And then also it's just like, I feel like you can control it a bit more, but there's also another set mostly what I've experienced doing. Um, but at the same time, it's like, there is some side of me, it's like, oh, more towards the natural side is better. So the ratio of T4 to T3, that's going to be in, you know, uh, glandular thyroid that's desiccated might maybe somehow have an overall better effect on the body, just maintaining normal function in that sense from using it. But that's bro science as fuck. And there's probably no perfect way that we can combine. So Mike, I don't know if you've used, you know, tried different stuff and had more experience with that. Cause I haven't, I haven't used thyroid that much in, uh, in clients yet. Cause I just haven't prepped it usually yet. So. Yeah. So, uh, clinically they'll usually start off with T4 monotherapy. Um, however, within kind of the context that we're talking about here, um, I think it needs to be, uh, T3 monotherapy or dual therapy just because right people put T4 into a contest prep, but you forget that it still has to go through that conversion process. So you could put all the T4 you want. If it's not converting properly, you're still not going to get any, you know, active T3 to use. Um, so no, I, I, a lot of people make the argument to like, keep the ratio in, right. If you're doing 25 T uh, four to one ratio of T4 to T3. So right. 25 T3 do hundred T4 just to keep ratios. Correct. Um, I don't think you have to. I mean, honestly, I usually just go in straight with T3. I don't really use T4 too much. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Another thing to mention is that thyroid is pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's pretty resilient. It bounces back really quickly. Um, you can fuck with it for like a pretty considerable amount of time and be able to recover it within reason. Um, obviously, we know that there are people who have been through significant caloric restrictions, such as people who have um, anorexia and stuff who may have permanent thyroid damage from something like that. Uh, but if we're talking about the context of bodybuilding and kind of what we do, um, I don't necessarily think you're going to see too many people um, in that subclinical body fat percentage for like years on end uh, in a row, except for like very, very select few people. So uh, within the context that we're talking about and the individuals that we're talking about, uh, you could really, you know, mess around with thyroid, mess around with those chemicals a little bit um, and be able to recover that thyroid uh, pretty well. So uh, it's not something that people need to freak out upon because I know in the early 2000s and 2010s, um, people were, you know, really demonizing using T3 and T4 on prep. Um, in general. And I think, you know, the more that we learn about uh, the adaptations of hypothyroidism during PrEP or those symptoms, uh, we know that it's probably better to put something in there just to, you know, not necessarily have your body go through uh, those type of symptomologies and just uh, be able to keep that thyroid at around a baseline level that you've been functioning at, at year round, even at those low body fat percentages. Yeah, I think thyroid's our thyroid hormones demonized for pretty much no reason. I mean, if you read the literature, it's so resilient as Tom said, and, you know, granted calories are kind of in a good space, are a good spot. Carbohydrates are in an adequate position. It's going to rebound back. Um, there's literally literature on people who have been on medication for years and they can stop the medication and they'll see, um, it's very different than like testosterone, right? Getting your function back will happen much, much quicker.
Yep. Yeah, you said what I was going to say. I was going to say when, when, you know, when you hop on test, it might never come back to what it was before. Thyroid, it's not really like that. And when you're looking at the grand scheme of a prep, it's like, hey, we're going to fuck with our thyroid no matter what, whether we're, you know, just not like actually taking exogenous T3 or anything, but getting super lean. But using it, you know, you could say, oh, well, it's going to make it harder for it to come back. But it's like, eh, the chances of it struggling to come back are about the same, but you might have you might feel better on prep and have a better uh, physique by the end of the competition if you're using exogenous T3 anyway. So it's like in the grand scheme of things, if it's a risk either way, just use the thing that's going to give you better performance at that point. Cause at the, you know, we're already making ourselves unhealthy to it at prep. We might as well do what works if we're making ourselves unhealthy either way. That's how I think about yeah. it. Yeah. Use and abuse. I mean, I guess the same thing for any compound, there's a very, very big difference. I mean, using exogenous T3 to get you at like high normal ranges, even for short periods of time, pushing, you know, hyperthyroidism or uh, hyperthyroidism. It's not, you know, if you're using 25 micrograms, 37.5, whatever, you know, there's a big difference between using that and using a hundred plus. I concur. Um, One thing I do want to cover is we talked about, you know, having those, um, that thyroid down regulation as you're doing more cardio um, and eating less food on prep, what are some lab work markers that you may see to where you're like, okay, now it's time to implement thyroid versus, okay, I got my lab work marker, T4, T3, TSH looks perfectly fine, but I'm going to put this in anyways, because I'm a lazy bastard that does not want to do more cardio. <laughs> um, so well, which is, which is, um, what were you guys looking for on lab work when uh, you guys are considering implementing uh, thyroid uh, therapy? Um, so for me, I'll primarily use um, free T3 as a marker. So I'll always pull labs with someone before prep starts. If I see them below a three before prep starts, if they're wanting to get in shape, it's something they're almost most definitely going to be using during the prep. Um, usually I like to keep T3 within the three to four range. If I kind of start to see that fade, you'll usually start to see some more difficulty with fat loss happening. So that's typically when I will kind of introduce it for most people, like for reference in the contest prep timeframe, that'll probably be somewhere from like eight to 10, 12 weeks out or so. Yeah, since it's, like you said, mostly a conversion issue of T4 to T3 during prep, I think that makes the most sense. Like, if I'm looking at someone that's, you know, never going to take thyroid or, you know, looking to take it for the first time, just like a lifestyle client, you know, maybe I'm going to look at TSH, NT4, NT3, and make them back, sort of look at reverse T3, and maybe look at some globulins, maybe, but I mean, that's just like, how many little $10 things are you going to add on to the test unless you see a specific reason to deep dive into their thyroid work that much? So those are, those are the basic things that I look for for lifestyle, but I think you nailed it for prep. That's going to be the most important thing because that's actually what's active. That's actually, you know, what's doing most of the job. So if we can pick one, it's, it's going to be T3 for sure. Um, you guys want to dive into carnitine? Yep. Uh, I can go ahead and start on this one. So carnitine is also another thing that I don't necessarily look as a direct fat burner because taking more carnitine doesn't necessarily burn more fat. If you look at the Krebs cycle, uh, carnitine isn't actually the, the rate limiter in terms of keeping that cycle going. It is acetyl coenzyme A, which is the rate limiter in that Krebs cycle. Um, so it would make more sense to probably supplement with 
acetylcoenzyme A, if that's what you're uh, looking to do is to upregulate that uh, Krebs cycle in terms of fat burning. Uh, one thing to note is a lot of people do notice um, subjective benefits in terms of mood, in terms of energy and cognition with taking uh, L-carnitine. What I see a lot of people doing, however, is using it fasted, uh, which I don't necessarily recommend. I think that you should be using it in conjunction with insulin, whether it is exogenous insulin, something like Humalog, or with a high carb carbohydrate meal and having your own endogenous insulin help shuttle that into your cells. Uh, carnitine is also kind of like creatine where it is stored up in your cells. It is not something that you're necessarily going to see benefit from the first day, or if you're just taking it a few times per week, you need to be taking it pretty consistently almost every single day, at least for that loading period, quote unquote loading period, uh, which takes about two weeks of 300 milligrams per day on average. After that, you can get away with about 600 milligrams three times per week on minimum to keep those uh, cells saturated with L-carnitine. Uh, reason I use it isn't actually, again, like I said, for fat burning, I look at it as a health ancillary uh, because carnitine actually helps with negative remodeling of the heart. If you look at people with congenitive heart failure, uh, carnitine is used to help uh, remodel that heart tissue. Uh, it is also used in people with severe liver failure uh, to help normalize those liver enzymes. So I think overall, there is no ne um, necessary detriment, uh, except you could talk about, um, like, if you take too much carnitine, you apparently start to uh, smell like a dumpster. Um, but <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time, but, um, yeah, I think, like I said, injectable, um, is probably going to be the best, um, route of administration just because oral is not necessarily as bioavailable. And we also talked about on a previous episode, uh, oral, oral administration, especially at high doses causes TMAO release in your gut. TMAO is a carcinogen, which is uh, something that could be combated by taking garlic alongside L-carnitine. Um, but, you know, for most people, I say injectable is probably uh, the easiest route of administration. It is going to be uh, the thing that most people see the most benefit from. If someone doesn't want to inject, though, but they do want to use it, don't take regular oral L-carnitine. At least take acetyl L-carnitine. I don't think we have any research to see if it's going to break down the TPA in the gut like regular L-carnitine does. Probably 50-50 there, to be honest. Um, but if you're hell-bent on using it, then there's that. The other thing, too, is there's a theory that it upregulates androgen receptor density. So basically, I'll explain this. Give, gives you more sites for your androgens in your body to bind to. Um, nothing super definitive, but hey, if, uh, if it allows you to use less gear or less of your gear converts to uh, estrogen or DHT or anything else you don't want it to convert to downstream, then maybe there's a good reason to take it. Uh, it does also have an antioxidant-like effect, so it can fight free radicals, so you could say it's anti-cancer in some senses. Also, the cognitive effect of it um, is supposed to be pretty great may be able to prevent uh, early onset Alzheimer's to some degree. Um, and part of where that research came from is it's a uh, very good effect on uh, memory and things of the like. So if you want to use it, uh, you know, before a test or something, you can always take some Alcar, some creatine monohydrate, a little bit of caffeine, and of course be well hydrated. And uh, that's, that's something that could help you, you kiddos in college, you. Yeah. Um, I was going to say one thing that you do want to pay attention to 
um, is the source of L-carnitine because I've seen a lot of fake um, injectable L-carnitine, which is um, surprising. But uh, if your L-carnitine does not sting when you pin it, it's probably not real. That shit hurts. <laughs> like so, um, that shit fucking burn. burns. Yeah, that shit fucking burns, especially if you pin it sub-Q. If you miss your muscle and you pin it sub-Q by accident, just fuck that spot for, for like the next two weeks. Like you're you're not going to be able to move for like the, the next two weeks in that spot. Dude, so. a couple weeks ago, I, I pinned, I pinned a sub-Q and it fucking knotted up for, for 10 days. Yeah, I literally couldn't even touch. That was the worst one I've ever had. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of furthering off that, a big thing with carnitine, um, Tom kind of already covered it, but it's all about kind of saturating muscle carnitine content. So what that does, uh, a big benefit to it is it reduces glycolysis and kind of increases glycogen storage. So that way you're kind of preferring, um, you know, fat oxidation and using that as fuel with kind of like the loading with it, uh, insulin or endogenous or exogenous, it will help saturate things faster. Um, Alex Tickle, he is a really, really good, I'll send it to you, Jensen, if you want to, after I think I sent it to Tom already, he has a really good book on it. Um, the longer you're taking it, like once stores are fully saturated, the insulin being present is kind of less of a worry once you kind of achieve peak saturation. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, also I did, I was going to say something I completely forgot. Go, go ahead. Oh no, never mind. I remembered. Okay. So steroids and, uh, cartering, which is something that we actually are talking about here, actually deplete your L-carnitine stores. So that may be, uh, why supplementing with carnitine actually has, uh, some type of, you know, subjective or objective fat burning benefits because your L-carnitine stores may already be depleted from other stuff you're taking and you're just, you know, replacing whatever is being, uh, depleted through the compounds that you're using. When do you guys dose it? Or what's your kind of preference so i would typically use it pre-workout um reason being is anytime post-workout if i do take it i you know it, it depends if i have a lot of work post-workout i may use carnitine in that post-workout window just to help me with that cognition later in the day uh, but most of the time i will use it pre-workout just to help with that um, energy utilization and uh, subjective mood slash cognition benefit during my session I like it before bed actually a lot. I forgot who, who told me that, but, um, like it, try it next time. If you have like a leg day and you're fucking trashed after, um, like 400, 600 milligrams before bed. Um, and honestly, a drastic difference in recovery than the following day. Hmm. I have to try that. Um, since you guys mentioned it, do you want to talk about carterine? Um, honestly, I think that's a little bit of a, I, I don't even necessarily consider that one as a fat burner either, really. Yeah, it's really just a, I would say it's more of a VO2 max enhancer, more of a cardiovascularly or just endurance sport based performance enhancer than a fat loss agent. I just brought it up because so many people that, especially the SARMs goblins are like, oh, this is the one that burns fat. And I'm like, bro, you're, you're probably just better off taking the caffeine, honestly, like, I don't. I'm not a, I'm not, I, I, there's so many other things that you can take that you don't need to take everything, which means there are some things that can go by the wayside. And that's, that's one of them, in my opinion. Um, 
if you guys have stuck around long enough, uh, I guess you've earned the right for us to talk about DNP. So congratulations, you've made it this far. DNP, the one that'll cook you from the inside out, the metabolic mitochondrial uncoupler. Who wants to start us off with that one? <laughs> who, wants to explain the, who wants to explain the yeah. enough that people can understand what the fuck we're even talking about? <laughs> Uh, I guess I could take it. So uh, DNP stands for dinitrophenol. Um, it, it clinical use of it. I believe they used to use it for um, obesity. Um, it quickly got banned just because they saw how severe the side effects were. Um, it's actually in some pesticides. I believe like bomb fuel or or. Um, gunpowder or, or something else uh basically what it is explosions it, it was to yeah. identify certain certain explosions so it's like it's used and explosive but it's not like the agent that makes shit explosive. yeah so, like, oh, it's, <laughs> so it's an explosive i'm like no dude you're not fucking guzzling gasoline or like gunpowder when you have it i mean it's not the smartest thing to take but that's not what it is so sorry back back to you um, clarify that. basically it's a metabolic uncoupler within oxidative phosphorylation that's basically the process by which atp is created and uh that is kind of our main energy source so um dnp will kind of disrupt your normal cellular respiration which is going to lead to kind of increased heat production which is probably what most people associate with um dnp use and increased oxygen consumption as well um per 100 milligrams uh dnp will increase your metabolic rate roughly around 10 percent or so um so obviously the more you take the the bigger increase in metabolic rate you will get Side effects with DNP and what you can kind of expect. Um, increased body temp is the biggest one. Um, you know, fatigue, tiredness, weakness, um, all of those things. Uh, let's see what else. DNP will, for most people, uh, it will kind of induce some water, a good bit of water retention. A lot of people, when they take it too, you actually won't see, um, you know, the scale weight moving down. You'll see it stay the same or even go up. And then once you stop taking it, you see that water retention fade, and then you kind of see what's um, what fat loss progress you've made underneath. Um, in regards to safety and dosing with things, do we want to talk about dosing or not? I mean, I've done I've done dumb shit with it, and I've sort of talked about it before. But I mean, I think if you the the thing with DMP is like it's gonna work really well. Um, but sometimes the dosage that you're actually getting varies. So one pill will hit different than a different pill. Maybe it'll say yeah. 125 and it's actually 250. And, oh, you're supposed to take 375. So you took three pills and then suddenly you have hyperthermia because you took 750, just for example. Um, so that's a big thing you got to watch out for with the safety. If your body temperature gets super, super high, your body doesn't even handle that as well as hypothermia. You can be way too cold for a while and you'll probably be fine in most scenarios, but if you get way too hot for too long, shit goes wrong fast. And even before you get to the point of them throwing you in the hospital and basically being like, good fucking luck, we'll keep you, you know, we'll keep fluids in you and shit, but we can't really do anything besides just throw you in a perpetual ice bath forever. Um, you'll just, you'll be sweating your ass off. You'll be ridiculously tired. I mean, you just, every single move that you take will be painful to move mentally and physically. 
um you won't be able to hold food down i mean you'll be shitting on everything you'll probably have this kind of weird form of gastric reflux where it feels like just acid and just going up and down in your throat so you're just fucking deep gagging a nice little acid dick which is great um but the main thing too is like you will go flat as fuck because you're burning through carbs just like infinitely when you do it so you get flat as shit which is great for insulin sensitivity if you really need that for whatever you know reason in a short-term thing but um your glycogen is gonna get trashed so your training performance is gonna fall very much it's not great for muscle retention if you use a tiny 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 little bit sure i mean there, there, there's probably great application for that it's just the availability of it the reasons to use it the option of using other things my view wanted to change quite a bit over the years if someone was going to use it i would not use it for prep i would actually just use it for an aggressive mini cut just for like three weeks where you get an in and out still not running at that high still relying on you know of course food reductions and cardio and maybe other supplements for the main fat loss aspect but it will get you you know you'll get burning fat real quick but if you're not on a bunch of androgens and you're not still able to train hard because you're taking too much and stuff you can expect to lose some muscle with it and you have to keep in mind that this the whole game of even if you're not a bodybuilder, if you're just trying to look better, it's a game of how much muscle versus fat you have. It's not just a game of how much of, of how little fat you can get off how fast. So you just have to keep the big picture in mind. And um, yeah, you know, if I had to endorse it or not endorse it, I'm going to not endorse it. Not just yeah, for most people, if you're a lifestyle <laughs> person who is watching this podcast and this is the first time you're hearing about DMP, um, it's not something you want to be fucking around with, to be honest. It, is something where the lethal dose is pretty close to what people use uh, uh, in, in bodybuilding dosages. So yes, that, that is one thing that we, I don't think any one of us have mentioned yet. You can die. You, it's not something that happens common. Um, I'm not out here to fear monger about any drug. I think uh, you could be dumb and kill yourself doing pretty much anything. But uh, DMP is one of those things where it is probably a little bit easier uh, to fuck yourself up uh, to a pretty high extent. And like Jensen was saying earlier, if you do end up taking too much, it is kind of just like a good luck scenario because there is no antidote or treatment for dmp i think the the way that they treat it is they literally put you in like a bathtub full of ice um to like try and like cool down your body because you're having hyperthermia um one thing to mention i'm, I'm not sure anyone touched on the or origin story yet uh but i do believe it was either russian or german factory workers um in one of the world wars was like um, messing around. And I think they ended up getting DMP on their hands, a few of them, and they noticed pretty significant weight loss from that. Um, and then a few of them uh, started passing away um, after a little bit. And that's when they knew it was a pretty effective fat burner, but also something that is pretty fucking dangerous too. So uh, if you are fucking around with DMP, just be uh, mindful and be careful with your dosing as well as your source. Because like Jensen was saying, you could have one pill that's 125 milligrams. You get one pill that's 250, depending on uh, how your source is making that. So just be mindful with that. Yeah, I, I think, again, too, it's something the, the dangerous and the dosage and the duration of it. Um, I actually honestly, I think it is kind of a little bit over demonized. Um you know, if you're running 600 milligrams a day, like for sure it has every right to be, but you know, if you're doing, if you can find a source that's like 50 or hundred milligrams, honestly, I think it's a pretty effective tool. And, and 
at that dosage is something that you can kind of take and it works in the background and you probably want to even notice any side effects from that low of a dosage. I mean, even 200 milligrams, I mean, obviously you're, you're probably going to feel that, but again, it all, all comes down to dosage and duration within things. Um, one thing to note too, going off what Jensen said, DNP is actually selective to fat tissue. Uh, but with that being said, the like fatigue and those other side effects from it, it's going to probably tank your training performance. And that's where you can kind of see some muscle loss from it. So like if it's something you are using, training performance has to be a top priority to be able to maintain that. The, uh, the, you kind of brought up a good point with the safety thing too. I mean, none of these things are necessarily healthy. I mean, no one's going to say a coffee is going to kill you, but anything in five dosages, you know, can, and DMP just happens to be, you can, you know, pop eight pills and die pretty quickly. Whereas with caffeine, you take eight caffeine pills. Yeah, maybe not. But if you're a bodybuilder and you're really fucking big, you have to watch out for your heart. If you're a bodybuilder, who's really fucking big. You're also on steroids, which makes you have to watch out for your heart. DNP isn't going to affect your heart the same way that uh, maybe harsher stimulants like Clen are and stuff. So you're really choosing your poison no matter what. So, you know, you shouldn't be using any of this shit, but Mike made a good point where he's like, it is kind of over demonized in a sense because we're using shit that's just as bad if you use too much of it. It's just a, It's just a lot easier to use too much of it. And the fact that these caps are coming like 125, 250 and shit, like there, there should, I mean, it's, it's all black market anyway, but yeah. it should be smaller dosages than, than that should be like the, the standard, but you know, it's illegal. So we don't have medical professionals. Yeah. I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's just like weird in the industry. I mean, like someone can take a grant or 125, 150 micrograms of T3 or a gram of trend, but then they're like, Oh, you took 200 mix DNP. Like, how could you? I'm like, do, do you not see like what else you're doing and the side effects of the other stuff? It's like everything we take, it comes down to dosage and duration. Literally it does. Exactly. It's a hormetic bell curve where there's too little, there's too much. And then there's the right amount. And that goes with pretty much literally everything in bodybuilding too. So yeah. I also think one thing to note too, DNP isn't a like if you have a good coach and you set yourself up for a good off season and, and you did all the proper previous steps of things, it's not something you should need to get in shape. Can it be a tool? Yes. Is it something you should need or it should be in every prep? Absolutely not. 99% of people, it, it should never be something that, you know, you're going to need for uh, to lose some fat. You know, you can pull some food, you can do a little more cardio. You've exhausted all variables. And, you know, you can't go back and change what you did in the past. And you're like, all right, we need another tool. Maybe it's a viable option. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. It's not like Clen where it's like, you know, it's almost a necessary evil of prep where, you know, most people, 90, 99% of people, at least, if they're going to get in true contest condition um, as an enhanced bodybuilder, they're going to be using Clen, caffeine, you know, him, mine, uh, some type of combination of all three, perhaps. Uh, but DMP is one of those things where it's like not a necessarily evil at all. Uh, it's one of those things where something you did something pretty fucking wrong or set up your timeline for prep pretty fucking horribly if you're having to use something like DMP. Uh, but like Mike said, it is a tool and you do as a coach come across clients in certain situations where it may have to be something that you implement to meet that timeline uh, to get that person in shape for a specific date. Um, and it is kind of like that last resort 
uh, type of option right there. I do want to cover diet on DMP too, uh, because we all know if you take too much carbohydrates alongside DMP, uh, you could also induce some additional hyperthermia as well. Uh, so just be mindful not to, uh, you know, absolutely go crazy on your calories or carbohydrates, which you shouldn't be anyways. If you're going to something like a last resort, like DMP, uh, your carbs shouldn't be, you know, 700, 800. You should probably just reduce that and go into a caloric deficit through diet. And yeah. Uh, go ahead. It can make cravings really bad, which can make that even more likely to happen for people too. So, you know, like we said, lifestyle people should never be on this anyway. But even if you're just someone that's prone to binging or you're just, you know, you're not in a great place mentally or you just don't have self-control or maybe you live with a spouse that like still keeps a bunch of shit food in the house or something, DNP cravings are pretty fucking crazy. So just be prepared to have blinders on extra. Yeah, th there's also a free radical issue uh, with DMP as well so kind of just as almost like a safety net I would probably put some antioxidants in your diet some variety of berries and fruits and veggies um, you know maybe like uh, reds and greens powder maybe some supplements um, just to kind of again be kind of like a safety blanket for things now with the free radicals piece because I've heard different theories on this do you think it's DMP itself that's having the free radical boost in effect or do you think it's just that you're burning fat so fucking fast on it that you're having more free radicals as a byproduct of that mm. that's a good question i don't know we don't have to have an answer it's just one that i was tossing out there yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not sure um cool so if well one that we didn't have on our list i don't know if you guys want to talk about adderall or any shit like that but um, we have gh too yeah, we got we got Adderall. Um, if you want to talk about that, but we got GH, whatever weird peptides we want to talk about. We can talk about how trend does bind to fat cells and the effects that it's kind of also mitochondrial and fibrillar to some degree, not the same degree as DNP, but similar. Anavar for burning visceral fat. There's something we could maybe put in there about because people are like Anavar burns fat, like it's a fat burner, and it's like no, your coach tossed you that because he doesn't understand that you have virilization concerns and it's just a bad scenario that happens a lot um i wrote down nicotine but nicotine i mean that's we'll we'll, we'll cover that on a new tropics type of episode yeah you guys are vape fiends right fucking now <laughs> I, got some, I got some delta 8 sitting by my side but you guys are popping on the vape for those that are watching us um i guess we'll just i mean if you guys want do you guys want to cover adderall or you want to get straight into hgh um i yeah, think quick on adderall Oh, okay. I don't okay. care. You have anything I mean, to say on Adderall? Mike? Uh, quickly, in like two sentences, um, it is, it will help with your focus. It is a stimulant. Um, again, adrenal um, dysfunction is something to be um, aware of. Maybe at the very, very end of a contest rep, if you really can't, you know, function in your day-to-day -day job or whatever it is, very, very low dose could be beneficial. It's not something I would recommend taking a lot of. Dosing, I would say, is five milligrams max per day if you're not trying to, you know, develop any type of 
um, addiction to Adderall, because that's one thing that we probably should mention is like any of these stimulants are addictive. Adderall is probably perhaps the most addictive out of anything that we're talking here. Um, and that is something that I do see commonly within the industry is people, um, you know, do their first prep, do their second prep, take a shit ton of Adderall to help suppress their appetite. And then they develop an addiction and dependency on that moving towards the off season and rebound phase are unable uh, to recover from that addiction uh, within a reasonable time frame. So uh, just be mindful of it. Do not, you know, mega dose it. Do not titrate up your dose. Stay at that same reasonable dose. It's doing the same fucking thing that it was doing two weeks ago. You don't develop, um, what's the word, tolerance to it the way that you would develop a tolerance to uh, caffeine or any of these other substances that we're talking about. Adderall is harder to develop a tolerance to. That's why people with ADHD are giving the same dose for years on end without having to titrate up on it consistently. There you go. <laughs> As Mike just flashes his amphetamine uh, prescription. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say, you know, unless you're prescribed it, the DARE program did get one thing right. You should probably stay away from amphetamines unless you're actually prescribed them. <laughs> so that's that's a good way to summarize that one up. Uh, HGH, who wants to take it away we, did, we already did a whole episode on hgh so we can probably just run through this one so gh <laughs> is going to be one of those things that liberates your fatty acids uh into your bloodstream so that you can burn it through activity um dosing for that is going to be about 1.5 ius subcutaneous per for a male uh, as the max fat burning quote unquote dosage uh but there's actually you know science that suggests that uh, you can go higher on the HGH dose without, um, you know, necessarily having that direct increase in fat burning, but IGF itself binds to the insulin receptor and prevents fat from being stored. Um, so it is kind of like one of those things where you could take one and a half IUs for the max fat burning effect, or you can go even higher uh, and dose it throughout the day to help with that IGF uh, blocking fat from being stored uh, via the insulin receptor. So it is kind of like a two-way thing. Uh, one thing to note is people who use GH in the off season uh, tend to stay a little bit leaner than people who don't. So um, I see it as a two-way thing, fat burner and also uh, preventing fat storage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Tom covered it pretty well. Um, again, basically all GH is doing and the dosage is really pretty low. Um, typically what I do or have read um, for females is typically around one IU for a male, about two IUs for the max fat burning effect. Um, all it does is really stimulates hormone sensitive lipase, which then kind of liberates these fatty acids to be used as energy. Um, one thing to watch out for it. growth hormone for some people usually at higher dosages though um, will kind of induce some water retention which in a fat loss phase could potentially skew things um, if that happens to some people something you can look into is kind of altering your electrolytes potentially bringing up um, your uh, potassium and kind of increasing that ratio between sodium and potassium uh, which may help with that water retention um, Technically speaking on paper, if you really wanted the max effect, you should probably be fasted for some time after taking it to kind of allow things to mobilize and actually be burned off in practicality. You know, most people don't have, you know, two, three hours just to like bum around and, and uh, not do anything. You know, you got to go to work and stuff. Um, 
But if you really wanted it to be optimal, you know, you would wait two to three hours, maybe do some uh, very low intensity cardio. Um, that's going to kind of focus on fat as a fuel source. Um, yeah. I can tell you one thing I've done um, to combat that is um, that, that, that window of time is I'll actually wake up in the middle of the night a few times to pee. The last time that I wake up to pee, I usually take my thyroid um, and then I will take my GH, go back to sleep for like an hour or two, let those fatty acids and that thyroid absorb and then wake up in the morning and immediately be able to do my fasted cardio. Not everyone has the ability or, you know, awareness when they wake up in the middle of the night uh, to do something like that. But it's something that I found, um, you know, kind of helps with that uh, if you are able to, uh, uh, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and be able to do that. Do you set an alarm to do it or you just naturally wake up? Oh, I wake up at like the same time to pee like every single night. So I'll wake up at like um, either. So I either wake up for work at like 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. And I'll wake up like 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. to pee. So I'll either do 4 a.m. or 6 a.m. and just pin it then and then go back to sleep for two hours and wake up. I don't remember the last time I've woken up in the middle of the night. Really? <laughs> Dude, I, I sleep. I sleep like a fucking baby. Especially when I'm cutting, dude, I, I wake up like five, five times per night to pee. But in the off season, when I'm uh, eating a shit ton of food, it's probably like once or twice. It's it's once or twice for me, but I just had like just a goofy thought run through my head and I'm just going to make everyone listen to it. You know, in SpongeBob, when they're like, oh boy, he's like, who eats a Krabby Patty at 3 a.m.? And then it cuts to like Patrick, oh boy, 3 a.m. He's like, Krabby Patty out and eats it. This is the bodybuilder version of that. Like, oh boy, 3 a.m. Starts pinning his stomach with HGH. Like we are just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah um that was fucking random but you know enjoy my autism guys um trend we don't even need to really run through those those last few i mean trend is just it has a it, mechanism similar to dnp but you know one one hundredth of it that might be partially why trend makes you extra sweaty why you might have burned some extra fat on it but don't take trend as a fat burner it's just it might have a little extra boost at the end of a prep Anivore may help burn visceral fat specifically, which can have some health benefits, but you also shouldn't be on Anivore long-term unless you really like trashing your lipid profiles. As soon as they make injectable Anivore readily available, hey, you know, we, we can change a lot of, <laughs> we can maybe change the protocols once that becomes a thing. It could be the new Primo, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen anytime soon. Um, shit, we covered a lot of really good stuff, guys. I feel like I had someone pay us for this. <laughs> I just touched on two things right there. Um, also, Anivar could increase your liver enzymes and uh, whatever your, your creatinine and uh, EGFR uh, could decrease as well. So uh, that is one thing to, to note. If you're taking Anivar to burn visceral fat, but also doing damage to your organs, which could cause to, uh, could, could, storage yeah. <laughs> of visceral fat it's kind of like you're taking something and it's just canceling out the the effect of the benefit that you're actually taking it for uh there's better ways to burn visceral fat whether it's through uh fasting or uh through the ppar um pathway uh whether it's carterine or tomasartan which is a very very mild kind of way of i guess leveraging that ppar pathway uh tremblone also uh, inhibits the glucocorticoid um, receptors. So it doesn't necessarily, um, you know, it kind of blocks cortisol, uh, which is also kind of a benefit for it to be used in a deficit because can help with muscle retention, also upregulates T4 to T3 conversion, which is another way of increasing metabolism besides it just being like DMP being a metabolic upregulator. So 
Uh, just a few th things I wanted to touch on there. There is one thing I actually do want to mention before we, you know, close this off. Uh, semaglutide, Ozempic. That's something that everyone thinks is a oh, fucking Oh, yeah, GLP-1 antagonists. Yeah. yeah, GLP-1. So what are your opinions, dosing? Um, you even consider it as a fat loss tool? I, I tried um, just to know what it would be like. And I mean, it, it, it works. It makes you not want to eat. Um, I can't speak to the insulin sensitivity part of it. I can't really speak to its effect on HbA1c specifically in me or anything, but I mean, it works. Um, it just, if you're a bodybuilder, you shouldn't need to use it. But for lifestyle people, I mean, shit, as soon as they have a stock that's public in it, I'm pumping money into it because a shot that you can take once a week or something you can even take early that makes you not want to eat, may increase insulin sensitivity, may actually help your pancreas function better in the short and long term. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think it's one of the best diabetes drugs to have ever come out. And obesity, well, type two diabetes and obesity, we call them diet, we call them diabetes in school, because it's one more or less causes the other. Um, so I, I do think it's great that it exists. But it, also, if you take it, and you do still manage to eat like a shithead one day, your your GI is going to be fucked, guys. It, it decreases the gastric clearance rate. So basically, food is going to sit in you longer before actually being fully processed and you shitting it out. So if you eat a fuck ton, it's going to sit there. You're going to feel really fucking bad. So like I had one client here earlier. It was like, yeah, my doctor said she can get it to me. You know, it's a it's as cheap as 600 bucks a month. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, you were struggling to pay me 300 a few weeks ago, but you know, we'll leave that to the side. Um, <laughs> like, oh, okay, sure. I don't know, you use your daddy's money or whatever. I don't fucking know, but it's, uh, for how much it costs, just either use a very little bit or just don't be a fat fuck and spend your money in better places. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I think, uh, I like it. Um, but again, it's when is it needed? Um, you know, are you being a lazy piece of shit and you can't follow a diet and you don't have any discipline? Or, you know, do you have an eating disorder? Do you have a binge eating disorder? Um, are you morbidly obese where it's very dangerous to sit at this body weight any longer? You know, there's some situations where I'm like, you know, is the risk outweighing the benefit or, or vice versa, you know? Some cases it's definitely beneficial and I think it's demonized for no reason. Like some people, as much as you want to say, oh, just be more disciplined, it's like they can't be, right? You you have a binge eating disorder. It's a real thing. So, you know, using a little bit of this to control that while simultaneously working on lifestyle habits, you know, there's a lot of research on like the neurological changes that can happen while on it. That's a good tool to use. And then, you know, is it a long-term solution? So, you know, we take Ozempic and then semaglutide and then you know, we stop it and we go back to our old ways. No, you take it, you work on what does a meal, what should a meal look like? You know, how should I structure my diet? How do I eat controlled portions? Then when you come off it, you have those habits instilled and you can maintain and you can continue making progress. Um, I think you made a good point too, though. Gut issues are seemingly uh, becoming more common. Um, a big thing with that is gastric emptying and, you know, kind of lack of bowel movements and, and, chronic constipation, um, which is, is one of the biggest um, factors for kind of developing different types of dysbiosis, um, you know, uh, estrogen detoxification, you know, that's going to happen through bowel movements, a lot of it. Um, so it's just some things to be mindful of while you are using it.
Um, I just want to cover some misconceptions around it. It's not a fat burner. There's like a bunch of lifestyle people who think you're just going to take it, keep your diet the exact same and lose weight. Uh, that is not the case. It's an appetite suppressant. Uh, so what it does is actually, you know, make you not want to eat as many calories as you would have and thus driving the deficit that way. Uh, people also talk about it being responsible for a significant loss in muscle tissue. Um, I think that those studies are just done on regular people who are eating a lot less and they choose to eat a lot less protein because protein is satiating. So they rather go for uh, carbohydrates or fats um, instead. And uh, that is the reason why people are experiencing muscle loss. Um, last one being is the uh, thyroid cancer. I realize there is some weird thyroid cancer that could uh, develop from taking semaglutide. So it's just something to be mindful of if you are a person who has uh, that specific thyroid cancer running in your family, it may be something that you want to avoid. But besides that, I, I don't see anything wrong with using it, uh, especially if you are a person who is disciplined beforehand, or like Mike was saying, using it as a kind of a band-aid while you are developing those discipline tools, kind of like an SSRI is kind of how I view it. So if you're a person who's depressed, you don't take an SSRI to fix it. You take an SSRI to help manage those effects while you do talk therapy and work on lifestyle behaviors and all of that to help manage you as a person to be a better person to deal with that anxiety or in this case appetite issues that's a that's a really good take in comparison that i would have never thought of just to go through the list for lifestyle people because you're like uh i heard some glutide i heard ozempic i know what those are but my doctor gave me this weird one I'm just going to run through th some of the names real quick. The only differences between a few of these are just injection versus oral, uh, but also the how long it stays in your system slash how often you have to take it. So there's dulaglutide, which is Trulicity, which you take weekly. There's exanatide, extended release, which is by durian bead size. I haven't really heard of that one, which is weekly. There's exanatide, which is by Etta. That's twice daily. So that one's obviously oral. Semaglutide is Ozempic, so that's the most common one. That's weekly. That's probably what most people are going to get, but there was shortages of it for a while, so that's where some of these other things started becoming more popular. There's Liraglutide, which is daily. Uh, there's a few other ones. And then also Rebelsis is a new one that's becoming more common. That's once daily semaglutide, so oral. Um, so if you guys are like, I know it's not what they're talking about, but like that, what, where does my drug fit into this? They're all the same class of drugs, same mechanism of action. I don't think, that, I don't, there's, there's one that's like super new that has one additional mechanism of action, but it, uh, it, it works. Are you talking about terzepatide? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did a little bit of digging into it, but I, I don't remember what I actually found to be honest. So if you you're going to pump stocks into one of them, that's, that's the one I would pump stocks into probably. I think that would probably replace semaglutide in a couple of years time. Once more it, research. It did have even money. better results. So yeah, that's very true. As soon as there's a public stock to trade, we're going to, we'll all invest and become rich in uh, five years when it blows the fuck up. Um, Cool. Well, we covered basically everything fat burner that you could think of within one episode. So hopefully this, to some degree, becomes like the definitive fat burner episode for uh, podcasts on bodybuilding fat burners and just fat burners in general. Mike, thank you so much for joining us, dude. We're going to do this consistently. I think this is, um, you know, we'll have other people hopping in here in and out too, but I think it's going to be our 
our deep dive squads of sorts, you know, we're, we all have the degrees and we all like diving really deep and talking a little bit nerdy and shit. Um, so yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be something we do regularly. Uh, I'll let you guys reach out with questions about this episode that we can go over next episode or just put on our stories, whatever. Um, I'll put the Instagram handles of all of us in the show notes, but if you guys want to self promote right now, go ahead uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Mike underscore Nassif. Um, uh, my email is Mike at team dash Kuza.com. Uh, either of those will be fine um, to reach me. Are you currently taking on any clients, Mike? I am currently taking on clients. Heads up. Most coaches who are telling you they're only got two spots open. They're lying. Thank you for fucking saying that. I'm so tired of that shit. Three spots left open. You've had three spots open for the last three years. Who the fuck do you think is that stupid? I don't want a client if they think that's real. Jesus fuck. All right. Sorry, Tom. Go ahead. All right. Uh, my Instagram is T Schuster Fit. That is T S E H U S T R Fit um, and Instagram. Um, and yeah, you can hit me up for coaching as well uh, through the link or my DM. Uh, mine is tcy.coaching on Instagram. Uh, one spot available, actually negative one spots available, actually four spots available, actually three spots available all in that one second, whatever sounds best for marketing. Um, no, I always have spots available. Um, but if I wanted to throw anything in there to entice people to sign up sooner, it would be in 2024, I might've slightly higher rate. So there you go. There's your genuine urgency plea. Um, and then if you go to my website, teamcreateyourself.com, it's basically a landing page where you can book a call, but I've been having some issues with that. Fuck Calendly. Um, so just, just shoot me a DM at tcy.coaching. Um, and yeah, I think that pretty much covers it guys. Thank you for listening and hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week.